0: Just like that, the second hour is here. Hot Mike with Hunt and Withrow across the Outkick Network. Glad you're with us as we broadcast from 6th and Peabody with EHop Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine and downtown Music City. Play Travis joins us in 20 minutes.
1: Much more coming throughout on Michigan college football playoff and more. Hutton, I took some uh, peach whiskey. Yep. Salted caramel whiskey. Uh, peanut butter whiskey. I'm trying to think of all the products. Mango habanero whiskey. Had the good. mini bottles of it. pick some of those up here from Old Smoking, right, yeah. Yeehaw. Had that at the trick-or-treating fiasco last <laughs> night with the neighborhood with the kids. Fiasco
0: because huge hit of that or the...
1: Huge hit with both the parents okay. and the kids okay. uh, because then the parents were more fun for the kids and some of the kids maybe took a nip here, here or there. Oh, I'm, really? I'm kidding. No. Yeah. You got to stay warm however you can. It is unseasonably cold here right now in the South. So it is. You never
0: know. Uh, Kat Temps is going to be here uh, on uh, November the 5th on the uh, You Can't Joke About That tour. Uh, she joins us right now on Hot Mike with Utton Withrow, Withrow, uh, co-host on Fox for Gutfeld and uh, comedian. Great to have you on, Kat. Hope things are well.
2: Oh, things are great. Great to be here. Yeah, I'm coming to Nashville on Sunday. I am so excited. The show is so much fun. We're going to have so much fun. If anybody wants to go, though, I would suggest getting tickets soon because there aren't that many left <laughs>
1: you, have you been to nashville
2: before yes i went for a week for we did a live gutfeld show there for a week well, that's right yeah and yeah the trip probably took a few years off my life yeah but it was it was worth it well, go- i would live in nashville if i could
1: the good news is where you're going is like two or three blocks from our studio here at a moonshine oh, distillery game so Here, if you'd like to take more years off your life when you're here for this show <laughs> you know feel free to come see us here
2: as well Yeah, I think I probably Nashville is it just puts it in you, you know, it's you get there. You're like, you know what? I do want to party no matter what you told yourself you were going to do before Uh, the show. It's really fun. It's really funny. It's really irreverent. I think that there is a dearth of a lot of that these days of the idea that there's certain subjects you can't joke about and people getting easily offended by things. And this show is the antithesis of that. And it's been great to go and perform this show. And see all the people who will come and who will laugh at all this different stuff and kind of look around at each other and like, oh, you're cool with that, too. And it's been really, really great. People have laughed and had a good time. But also there's just been this sense of connection when people leave. And doing these shows has been so great to make me feel kind of like, okay, maybe we're going to be okay.
1: Well, and it's also, this the whole concept of is social media even real life at all, right? Because you could joke about something, a lot of your fellow comedians, people in comedy, writers, they write about something, they joke about something, they had a Halloween costume from years ago, and there's always going to be a group of, on social media out to cancel that person, but deep down I feel like we all ju- do just kind of want to laugh, right? Even yeah. if it's something maybe that is deemed inappropriate, by a certain subsection of X or Facebook or Instagram or whatever, people just wanna get together and laugh.
2: Yeah, I, I honestly think that contrary or actually exactly opposite to what a lot of people say in my own experience and honestly, the experience of most people that I've talked to, the darker and more difficult something is, honestly, the more important it is to be able to joke about it because those are often the subjects that need the healing power of comedy the most. And I joke about those things in my show. And guess what? People don't go, people laugh. People wanna laugh about this stuff. And I do meet and greets after, and people will come up to me and share tragic things that they've been through and maybe jokes that they've used to help get through those things. And I think it's really important to be so clear about that. Because like you said, the small segment of people on Somewhere Like X that wanna try to cancel people, also who are those people, right? Because I've never spent time going through someone's old tweets, for example, saying, you know what, what can we find that this person said wrong, maybe when they were in college, to try to cancel them? Because I have enough of my own stuff going on. I think where this comes from for a lot of people is, okay, maybe if I can't be as successful as I always wanted to be, at least I can take down someone who was successful. It's kind of sick, but I really think that's what it is for a lot of people.
0: Kat, could they make the hangover now, like they did in what was it, 2007 or eight?
2: Probably not. I was just watching the first couple seasons of The Office a few days ago, and I was like, wow, this probably couldn't happen. But I want my show to be that. I want, and it is that. My show is that. You'll hear jokes about things in my show that you won't hear a lot of other people joking about. And if you've read my book, you'll see a lot of that too, but it's also in the show. But you'll see people are laughing at these things. And I think that nothing can bring us together quite like comedy and laughing together. And that's what I've seen in these shows. I'm really excited to bring it to Nashville again. If anybody wants to come really get on it, if not, if it does sell out, which it will, but I'll be in Louisville on Saturday and they will sell tickets for that. It'll be worth the worth the schlep.
1: I, I know that, uh, you know, there was a while where like it was taboo to joke about COVID or COVID yeah. policies or anything. And I feel like everything is turned now, where even some of the more you know the most mainstream comics you'd think about, I was watching or listening to podcasts with David Spade and Dana Carvey, and they're constantly yeah. uh, making fun of Dr. Fauci or crushing you know COVID hysteria and things around it. I, do you feel like that has changed a little bit and we've shifted away from it, it from being something so serious that now something we can joke about?
2: And I think there's no such thing as a subject you can't joke about. I agree. Uh, but when it when it comes to COVID. I think yes, but I don't feel that excited because it's also proof of just how horrible things had gotten when people were straight up seen as irredeemable or unable to exist in the public square for suggesting that maybe this virus that emerged outside of a lab full of viruses came from the lab full of viruses. That made you crazy to suggest something like that when it's obviously a very logical theory to perhaps have.
0: No doubt, and also the just the uh, the the sheer. Chad, how many times did we have the discussion with uh, we'd have a doctor on to discuss what was going on as we broadcasted from home, right? Yeah. Uh, but then we'd have a caller call in and ask you know because we had that caller on. Social media is going crazy that we were, you know, dangerous. Yeah. By having someone's Sp- opinion, spreading
1: something, or you know, not not allowing a, a free, uh, you know, it's, free free commerce of thought at any point Chad, in time, right?
0: Cat to, to Chad's point, like ESPN has McAfee on with Aaron Rodgers now, uh, mentioning you know uh, the, the, the Pfizer and uh, and Travis Kelsey, you know, like the the whole
2: the whole yeah, concept good, of it has funny. flipped like
0: <laughs> and it's ESPN that it's on their air it's not like uh on Outkick for instance that that's right. where the mindset has really changed
2: yeah and honestly you I, I for me it's so creepy to see the government the way it handled that suggesting mi- what is misinformation or disinformation because Obviously, if you're going to say that really what you're saying is the government should be the only one allowed to dispel misinformation, because think of how many of the things they said that turned out to not be true. I I mean, I've lost count. Um, I got the vaccine. I didn't. I mean, I live in New York. I did not have a choice. Um, And I still got COVID between two to three times. (laughs) So the whole you won't get COVID thing didn't really work. And that's just one of so many examples. Right. and there's really no not been any accountability or I'm really sorry that we got this so wrong. And not only do we get it wrong, but we demonized people who were right because I, I I, don't understand how it was ever legal to mandate the vaccines the way that they were mandated in a place like where I live, New York City. Um, if businesses wanted to require it, it's one thing, but here it, you, you basically couldn't go anywhere or have any job basically without it. And I don't understand. I mean, or you know, places. When you learn nouns in school, it's like people, places, things. The major category of that was just fully illegal. Places were essentially fully illegal, unless it was you know a liquor store.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, <for> <laughs> it, it's it's nuts. We're we're buddies with Nate Bargatze, who, who got a big opportunity on SNL this past week, and we've had him on the show a few times. And he's he's a Nashville boy uh, from here. He he talks about. and I'm sure you can relate to this. Um, the breath of fresh air it is a lot of times to be around comedians, you being mm-hmm. a comedian yourself, when you get around other people in comedy, how much fun is that? Because I do feel like in your world, you know, it's not necessarily about what your opinion is on this issue. It's funny or not funny amongst comedians, right? It, isn't that kind of the the way of the game?
2: Yes. And also comedians understand that there's really no way to know if a joke is funny or not until you try it now you know this whether you're a comedian or not deep down because everyone's maybe made a joke at a party or something that didn't land and then your buddy's girlfriend's looking at you all weird and you got to talk to him in the morning or whatever else but comedians really understand that because all of us have told a joke whether it's on a tv show or it's on stage or stand up or anything else where it did not go the way we thought it would go and we realize that that's part of it and you can't be afraid to swing and miss, or else you won't joke about anything. I was back at the very, very beginning of my career when I would fill in for DJs on a morning rock radio station in Baltimore. One of the DJs gave me that advice. Don't be afraid to swing and miss. We also just sit there. It was great advice for me at the time. This was also maybe 11 years ago. That is what people fail to understand now, is that if you miss, it's all of a sudden your whole career is over in the eyes of you know some of those people. I think most people don't feel that way, but the small voices are are the losers essentially with nothing better to do can be very loud. And they think that doing your job, which is swinging and seeing if it hits should be a reason if you missed to just not exist in public or public society anymore, which is just a complete misunderstanding of how comedy is. And when comedians get together, we, we all understand that.
0: So you've got uh, funny people who will not get on stage. Right, you have uh, uh, really, really funny people who get on stage, but it's uh, just for the opportunity to do it once or twice at an open mic night. When did you decide? You know what? I'm going. I'm going full in with this. All in. All in.
2: So my show now is a one woman show, but it's very it's stand up ish. So it, there's a lot of set of punchline, but there's also a message to it. I started doing stand up comedy when I needed to. And I will explain what I mean by that. So I had gotten into Columbia Journalism School after college. My plan was I was going to intern at Fox News, and I had a housing stipend for most of the internship. Two weeks, I didn't have the stipend. I was to live with my college boyfriend, and then we we're going to break up, and I was going to move to New York City, <laughs> where I, I was enrolled at Columbia Journalism School. Didn't work out that way, because I realized I actually didn't have $80,000 to go to journalism school, and I also didn't have a plan to make $80,000 a time soon, so I didn't take out a loan. So what I did is I waitressed. I, I was a Boston Market Cashier at first, but then I was waitressing, and I did internships to learn the skills for free while I waitressed. Things got really bad. Uh, the boyfriend broke up with me because I basically like non-consensually moved in with him, and that doesn't really solve all the problems you'll have in a relationship. Uh, so I was broke. I eventually lost the apartment at some point. I didn't know anybody. And I found that the one thing that made everything okay? feel better was to go on stage and tell jokes about my dumpster fire life because it gave me power over the stuff that was making me feel so powerless. And telling jokes about this and hearing people laugh, it was also the really only means of connection I had during that time in my life. And that's kind of been my guiding principle throughout my life is as I've gone through tough things and I talk about a lot of them in the book and in my show, laughter although it's the opposite of people say now is the only way I was able to get through these things. And it's not because these things were so funny. It's because they were so serious. Yeah. And the only way to give something even more power that an already has over you is to say, Oh, you can't joke about that. You can't joke about that thing because then it makes it even more scary than an already is.
1: Kat, you seem very un- unapologetic uh, with your commentary, oh, yeah. with, with your yeah. comedy. Is your advice to most everyone. I mean, we've seen this with, with Dave Chappelle and other comedians when there's an outrage, refusing to apologize, right? Just don't apologize for anything when it's in the name of comedy, commentary, whatever it may be. Would that be your advice to people as well?
2: My advice would be to apologize only if you're sorry. If you actually apologize for something, oh, I didn't mean it that way, I'm sorry. That's very different than, okay, my, you know, someone, my PR team is saying, okay, I should say I'm sorry for this and wrote this thing for me. And I think, of course, as you mentioned, telling an errant joke is a lot different than being a jerk. It's completely different. And look, I'm I the Bible, right? Leviticus, Old Testament, not the chillest book in the Bible, okay? <laughs> no, it's not. It, it's standard for what should happen when you do something wrong. It's an eye for an eye, right? Now with comedy and with jokes, there is no one who could honestly tell you that the worst thing that they've been through or one of the worst things they've been through was hearing a joke that hurt their feelings or that, you know, they didn't like, but there are people who could honestly tell you that one of the worst things they've ever been through is telling a joke that other people didn't like, which means the way that we're treating comedy now as a society, or at least some people are, is less chill than Leviticus, than the Old (laughs) Testament. So I think there's a sign there that maybe we need to calm down just a little bit.
1: Deep question here, Kat, before we let you go and talk more about your special and your your show coming to Nashville. Was the Will Smith slap of Chris Rock good for comedy or bad for comedy?
2: It was bad for comedy, but it was good in the sense that it got people talking about it because I think it wasn't surprising to see when we've been hearing for so long that words are violence. and Because if words are violence, then violence is an acceptable response to words because violence is an acceptable response to violence. Uh, And saying words are violence inherently shuts down a conversation because then you're saying as long as you don't get violent, you're basically doing that person a favor because they've committed a violence against you, right? I don't understand also how that's a progressive view. Because actually, through most of human history, we did treat words as violence from the caveman days all the way through the Civil War. It was like, okay, you said something bad about my mom, and now we're gonna have a shootout, right? And we only as we we become more modern and more civilized have we Realize that words is an acceptable response to words. So I don't get how that's a progressive thing, but um, I, I think it was really bad. I think it was actually an illustration of how bad things have gotten, but real, it started an important conversation.
0: The real cat is where you can go for. You can't joke about that. The book plus you can check out tour dates and more. She'll be uh, right here in Nashville coming up on Sunday, uh, this Sunday, November the 5th. We're looking forward to it, cat. Thank you for the visit. And uh, here's hoping that uh, you, you feel better flying back to new york uh on this nashville trip than you likely did the previous one
2: <laughs> i can't wait thanks Kat. appreciate it thanks guys
0: we should go uh across the street and check, check this out, out yeah Sunday. yeah it's a uh, pre here chad
1: literally two blocks away from here i know is where she'll be that's
0: our our pregame stop here and then uh anything that's walkable from here is uh where we're headed we can so.
1: invite cat here and make sure she feels awful right. <laughs> on that flight back to new york
0: that's right. Uh, Clay Travis, also right here in Nashville. He joins us next. Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow across the Outkick Network rolls on. Stick with us. 6th and Peabody, our location with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Hot Mike with w- Hutton Withrow uh, rolls on across the Outkick Network kick founder, Clay Travis, joins us each week at this time. Always great to catch up with you, Clay. And uh well done with the righteous gemstones uh Oh, that was terrific. Yeah, the the, the costume was uh What a fantastic. hell of a show
1: that is, too.
3: It's a great show. Laura deserves credit for the costume idea. But uh but yeah, that was uh I was Jesse Gemstone and Laura was Judy, and if you Want to watch something funny? Um, it is a very, very funny show on HBO. I think they've finished three or three seasons, I think, at this point, yeah, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. Yeah. They're
1: three seasons down, and I, and I, I believe it's been announced they're coming back for a fourth. So it's it's coming yeah. back.
3: Yeah, great.
0: Uh, Clay, where where we were last week compared to this week with the Michigan and sign stealing and Connor Stallions, just the, the idea that he's on the sideline for Central Michigan. While uh, wearing sunglasses decked out in CMU gear.
1: In in full coaching gear. Looks like a staff
0: member. Uh, While uh, we're also seeing the blinking light now on the sunglasses. Where he's got a
3: camera. How crazy is this? Funny. um, It's ridiculous. It's very college football. (laughs) Um, uh, You know, I don't know that it could happen in any other sport uh, in America like this. Uh, where it seems like there's always kind of crazy kooky uh, stories like these, and I think in general it's because you have all these different coaches and programs that basically are uh, you know almost almost states to themselves um, for lack of a better way of describing it you know that they, they are massive regional forces but there isn't sort of the same vibe that exists, for instance, in the NFL, where there's huge national brands. College football still has a lot of major regional brands, um, and, you know, in small towns, uh, where there's just that they're like states unto themselves in many ways. Uh, and the power of head coaches and coaching staffs and everything else is, uh, is unlike anything else. And sometimes you see this because, um, You know, college campuses, athletes will get away with things uh, in a college town that they would never get away with in a decent-sized city, uh, because so many of these college towns are 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 small universes unto themselves. Um, But none of the revelations have changed anything that I would say, which is, I don't think anything's going to happen to Michigan until, uh, uh, even if it ever does, until well after the season is over. So I would say Michigan basically should try to run the 2010 Auburn playbook, which is effectively deny everything, keep winning, and then if you win a championship, fight like heck to make sure you keep it.
1: Yeah, and I I think that's what's going to happen because we know the NCAA is not going to do anything quickly on on this. Uh, It would take the Big Ten office stepping in, and that would take a consensus of the other 13 Big Ten schools and uh, a huge amount of evidence that we don't know if they have or they, or they don't right now, Clay, for them to do that. But my, my question is, if this extends beyond just gaining a competitive advantage for your own team, and the tentacles of this goes to South Carolina uh, when they get ready for Tennessee and Clemson, if it goes to trying to get Michigan State to lose a game with Central Michigan or trying to affect other rivals of Michigan when they're not playing them, does that change your opinion of the severity of, of the rules being broken in this deal,
3: well, I think it, there's a de- difference between what you think happened and what you can prove happened, and there's often a, a seismic difference between the two. Um, no, I look. I mean, I think Michigan would claim that that you know that this was of limited effectiveness, that they didn't know um, it was uh, it was you know going on. And I think it'll be very hard to hold Michigan accountable here. I do think that probably the most lasting impact will probably be that college football will go to uh, the, you know, the, the, the sound in the helmets, right. Uh, So that instead of signaling in everything, you'll have the ability of a, uh, of a coach to, um, to adjust and, uh, you know, and, and do like they do in the NFL, but also I mean, I watch a ton of college football. There is so much coaching that is going on from the sidelines um, in terms of play calling. I mean, what you see most of the time is substitution occurs. Uh, You know, coach on the sideline, probably in consultation with the coach in the press box, looks at what the formational packages are on defense or offense. And they both adjust in real time based on what on the field actions exist. Um, and uh, the funniest story I've seen is that TCU uh, supposedly knew that Michigan had this sign-stealing operation in place um, and that they were able uh, to you know, basically counterfeit signals to try to throw Michigan off as to what plays were going to be run. It's surprising to me that more teams wouldn't have been able to do that. And I'm actually a little bit curious, even though it's not a big game, to see what Michigan looks like against Purdue mm. – uh because Purdue's not very good. Um and uh and you would imagine that Michigan is not gonna be using any sign stealing uh going up against Purdue. So seeing what happens in this game would actually be somewhat intriguing as well as the game on the road against Penn state and then, uh, into the year against Ohio state.
1: Having watched Purdue and that offense play against Nebraska on Saturday, Purdue could have every single play call (laughs) of Michigan and still lose by 28, 35 points in this game. That is an atrocious offense for Purdue. They're playing.
3: Yeah. And I mean, that's honestly what you've seen a lot of coaches say, um, you know, that there's not that much uncertainty about what most teams are going to do. You have to figure out a way to stop them. Um, Now, if it's third and short and you're lined up to look like you're going to go for it, you know, with just like a halfback dive or something, and you're able to deduce that in reality that is a play action pass designed to go to a downfield receiver, that would make a big difference, right? Um, But uh, a lot of the time, I question how much of a competitive benefit uh, they were even getting. Um, And I also wonder how much was this guy freelancing a lot of this stuff like in his own world convinced that he basically is you know essentially a cia agent whose goal in life is to figure out a way for michigan to get every competitive advantage how much of this was just like him kind of going off on his own uh as opposed to uh to management i mean i'm fascinated by this uh by this uh, Connor Stallion's character, wearing glasses, and in even the
1: name is ridiculous. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I mean, I cannot wait for the uh, Netflix like docu series that where yeah. he tells yeah. all in this because yeah. he's going to talk at some point because he has no future in football. Uh, so he's got to tell
0: what he's doing right now.
1: I mean, probably just basking in the glow of all the media attention.
3: He's well, probably excited honestly, about it. Honestly, what I would be a little bit nervous about if I were him is somebody decides that they're going to try to find a criminal charge uh, to charge him on. That would really kind of change the trajectory of this story from, ha-ha, look how funny it is, to somebody deciding, hey, we can peg him on some sort of criminal charge. That would change things, I think, a lot. So I'd be a little bit nervous that some prosecutor somewhere is looking for uh, an ability to score points. The other thing I think, by the way, um, should be factored in is even if the big 10 did something, I think we would see an almost immediate lawsuit filed. And I'm not sure that there would be able to be any restrictions put on Michigan. Cause some people are like, Oh, Michigan shouldn't be allowed to play in the big 10 title game, or they shouldn't be allowed to play in the playoff or whatever else. Um, you know, I, I think the odds of that are low, but if I were Michigan, I'd be, uh, sort of retaining and having ready to roll, the best possible legal team to combat anything that might be brought against you.
1: Clay, you were in the building for Will Levis' debut as Titans quarterback. Were you as shocked as I was to see him absolutely light it up in his first game in the NFL?
3: Yeah, I mean, what I was most impressed by was his poise in the pocket and his ability to see the field. Um, I don't really remember hardly any throw he made where he looked uncomfortable or it appeared that he went to the wrong receiver. Uh, and a lot of young quarterbacks want to do the check down. Uh, you know, they want to get rid of the ball and drop it off, you know, four or five yard passes. I mean, he was trying standing in the pocket and taking real chunk uh, play shots downfield. That's what astounded me the most, because at Kentucky, when I watched him play, he didn't seem to ever see the field that well or be that comfortable in his processing of information in a rapid fashion. He always had a big arm. uh, And so the big arm didn't really surprise me, but his seeing of the field, his processing of information, how rapid he did all that uh, in his first NFL start was the thing that stunned me.
0: Clay, uh, as far as the first college football playoff rankings are concerned, uh, we know the top four and and, and Withrow and I've discussed it and and we'll continue to, but like, as far as where Washington, Oregon, Alabama, Texas, uh, how they stack up, who's in the best spot? Who feels pretty good that they're in the top ten and they can jump to the top four just based on finishing the season?
3: I mean, I think who Oregon or Washington um, is going to be in the playoff, right, uh, if either of those teams went out. I think anytime you can look at your schedule and say, hey, if we win the rest of our games, we're 100% going to be in the playoff. Yeah, yeah. That's a good position to find yourself in when you get to November. And look, I think there's about, uh, you know, there's probably eight teams that right now could say, hey, barring everything else, we are sort of the master of our, uh, of our fate. We control uh, what is able to, uh, to, to happen here coming down the stretch run of the season. I think, you know, Georgia would say that. Alabama would say that um, I, I think Ohio State and Michigan would both say that Washington and Oregon would say it uh, and I think Texas and Oklahoma right now would say that as well as Florida State probably so I don't I was at eight or nine yeah. teams right off the top if they win out they'll be in the playoff and that's a great spot to be in.
0: how close is Ole Miss to being able to say that
3: well, I mean in order for all well, first of all, Ole Miss would have to win out, right? They have yep. to go eleven and one. And they gotta and play then they Georgia. Would need yep. Alabama, well, they would need Alabama to lose two, right? Because yeah. Alabama has the tie break over Georgia. Uh sorry, over Ole Miss. So uh I mean I think that's a tough proposition. Now if Alabama were to lose to L S U this weekend, um, you know, in a three way tie, I'm not sure exactly how that would shake out if Ole Miss um Ole Miss lsu and alabama all ended up with seven and one in the sec west which i think would be the could happen uh i'm not sure exactly how that tie break would go uh but you know i'm not even worried about any of that if i'm Ole miss i've got texas a&m this weekend which is a tough game then i've got georgia next weekend and i believe you still have the game against uh, mississippi state certainly in the egg bowl uh those are three really big games that Ole miss would still have i'm not sure if they've got a an easy game uh, mixed in there right before the Egg Bowl or not, uh, but uh, but either way, I wouldn't be worried about anybody else. I'd be worried about trying to to get to eleven and one.
0: So the the tiebreaker combined head-to-head record among tied teams. This is for a three-team tie. Uh, record of the tied teams within the division, and then head-to-head competition against the team within the division with the best overall conference record. Um and beyond so Georgia,
3: that- so that means. Ole Miss would probably win that, yeah, right? Because I think so. Because if they beat Georgia, old Georgia would be the next best win, assuming that you're reading that, and I'm analyzing it correctly in, uh, in real time because nobody uh, from Alabama plays Tennessee and Kentucky as their SEC yes. East foes. Um, and uh, LSU already uh, has lost to Ole Miss, obviously, but they don't play. They play Florida and, uh, I'm not sure, Missouri. So they wouldn't have anybody at the same level. So I think Ole Miss, if they went one out, would win that tie break, if I'm doing it correctly.
0: All right, Chad, Chad and I are going to uh, hop on the apps right here. Uh, the
3: blood bank guarantee this week is? Oklahoma State. Uh, I think they went out right against Oklahoma. Um, yeah, it could be a last bedlam for a while. I don't know that it's been decided how the Oklahoma-Oklahoma State rivalry is going to be handled, given that Oklahoma joins the SEC next year. Uh, I got them at plus six and a half. I'm not sure what it is this uh, afternoon as we're speaking, uh, but I think I've got six full points to play with there because uh, I think Oklahoma State's going to win this game outright. Then you've
1: got money line for Oklahoma State, correct?
3: Well, plus the points is okay. the blood bank, but I also like Oklahoma State to win it outright, which is one reason I love them plus the points.
0: And a high scoring game is expected uh, for Bama and LSU,
3: right? That's what I think, yeah. Uh, I don't think LSU can stop Alabama, but I also don't think Alabama can stop LSU. Uh, so I think the winner of that game is going to have to post 35 or more.
1: Clay, I've got Oklahoma State plus five and a half right now. So once again, you affected you, the yeah, line. You moved the line. You bet at six and a half or six I mean, and the blood it bank, immediately blood moves.
3: Bank has been, blood Bank has been on a roll. So have uh, got Todd you know, I, is listening into your
1: Blood Bank guarantee and immediately starts shifting the line <laughs> with him and all of his Vegas buddies.
3: Yeah, they're throwing as much money as they can down. Um, but, no, I like Oklahoma State uh, to win that, cover that number.
0: Clay, have a good rest of the week, man. Thanks for the visit, and um, I'm eager to to win some uh, following your lead here based on the advice.
1: Okay, uh, me too. Yeah. I'll see
0: you guys. Yeah, man, I need it. Yeah. Chad, I need it.
1: Yeah, we both need it, Hutton. Bad. I'm in a serious dry spell <laughs> over here. The only thing I can hit is an anytime uh, touchdown score on Thursday night or Monday night football. That's it. Other than that, I'm not hitting much of anything.
0: Other than if if you would have placed and backed your prediction on Washington and Heisman. Yeah, I, I still... Man, the odds you could have... Oh, I should have followed your lead there, too.
1: Well, we'll see. We'll see if that turns out. Beers okay. on
0: Chad, if he would have placed that bet.
1: I think I did place that bet.
0: Oh, oh. then beers on Chad. Oh. Coming up, uh, we get into the playoff rankings, and we discuss Deion Sanders and uh, the theft that took place at the Rose Bowl. Next. Next. Coming up in about 20 minutes, Jim Nagy will join us. He's the executive director of the Reese's Senior Bowl. Always looking forward to that. Plus, Michael McHenry, World Series and more. Uh, that's in the final hour of today's Wednesday
1: edition. Can Michael McHenry get me to tune in for one inning of this World Series? You know Probably what I'm Probably not. In? T- is it tonight, Game 5? Tonight, it is is tonight. Game five. yeah, just
0: tonight. 3-1. The last
1: inning. If the Rangers are up in the last inning, the I get to see the end. The celebration. I'll tune in them. That I promise you guys. Wow, thank you, Chad. It's a huge sacrifice. I've got a lot of other shows on streamers that I'd prefer to be watching. <laughs> really, Fall of the House of Usher. By the way, cannot take my eyes off this thing. Is that good? Because it's I, a little bit campy at I, times. I watched
0: the first half of episode one.
1: It's good. Uh, episode two is going to be a make or break for everybody.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: There's a... Now, how many episodes are there's there? There's an orgy involved. There's acid on faces. There's a lot of different things going on in episode two that's going to be either a real turn-on for some of you or turn-off for others. What would Edgar Allan Poe think about this Edgar show? Allan Poe would love it. Okay. He would bathe in the battery acid in this uh, in this episode. <laughs> um, it's all... So it's it's based on the short story from Edgar Allan Poe, but the series, which is eight episodes blends in a ton of Edgar Allan Poe's work. Okay. Example, the older usher's wife's name is Annabelle Lee from his short story. Annabelle Lee, right? But it's in the 1970s. So it all takes place now, but there's flashbacks to when the business was starting in the late 70s, early 80s. Uh, I think it's very entertaining. Again, there are times where it's like, okay, this is some really old tropes of horror stories that you're going to see, but it's, it works, It's working for me. And it's not so scary and creepy that I don't like just straight horror things that get too far beyond everything. This is not that. It's not saw. It's not: Saw. I know what you're it's, it's not uh, gosh, what, uh, I'm trying to think of one of those movies that Jacob Swanson would make me read about.: Oh, Remember the, we'd come the, in those, and say. Uh,
0: the, that's a different level.
1: Read about midsummer. That was one. Um, oh gosh, uh, not parasite. But there was one, uh, Hereditary, that's oh, that, one that, that was, was recent the last four you. or five years. And I read the description of it on a flight somewhere and didn't want to go sleep in the hotel room I was going to be in after just reading on Wikipedia the description. This is not one of those shows. It's more suspense with a little bit of scare in it, but not, it's not that it's going to keep you up at night. Well, uh, maybe... Unless you're a wuss. Well, yeah. And the, I'm, I'm kind of a wuss when it comes to some of that stuff, but this does not... Oh, I it's like not, all it, the Saw movies. This is not affecting me at all. Yeah. Saw didn't really affect me
0: either. The uh, uh, the Strangers, to me, is the most creepy. Strangers, Strangers I'm not going to watch. is the one I... Uh, um, but it wasn't gory. It's just, uh, just knowing that that story played out in real life is... Uh, yeah. Yeah, frightening. The ring
1: watch out of the cat is cabin. one that jumps out to me that really affected oh, me when I watched it. Uh, anything with like a weird wicked woman involved. I'll yeah. tell you one that stuck with me as a kid that I could not erase from my brain for years. The scene in Pet a Cemetery. A weird wicked woman. <laughs> a weird wicked woman gets me every time. Uh, the scene in Pet Cemetery where the woman uh, that they dug up from the dead that was playing the piano, it's like someone's sister. Okay. And she's dead, but she's like her. Uh, I, it's hard to explain. But when they walk in the room and she's play, you, you see her lot. back and she's playing the piano, that that's one that got me as a kid. There's a Pet Cemetery series now on Paramount Plus, and uh, uh, Mulder from X Files is the star of it. David Duchovny, who I love and loved on X Files, is the star of this. It's like a prequel to Pet Cemetery. I think it's something that takes place before the the the, is it the Stephen King story. Like
0: is it? A hit, the way they thought it would be. Like, I, Hutton, to me, it is if so I, it is so hard to know what is a hit. I know, but I base it on what people are talking about, though.
1: Yeah, fall of like I look at what's trending on Netflix or wherever I'm going, like the yeah. top things that are on there. But then who knows what's really a hit of that?
0: Right, because that can be for placed. something to
1: have staying power, is so difficult.
0: Well, and being that the Halloween season too, like that would be yeah that that would be a reason why I would click on it.
1: I don't know that anything. There's some really good stuff on Paramount Plus. I don't say this to to besmirch the, the streamer. Go on. There's nothing on Paramount Plus that's not made by Taylor Sheridan that's a hit that I'm aware of. If it's Taylor Sheridan, if it's Special Ops Lioness, if it's any of the Yellowstone Universe shows, if he did it, it's likely a hit. Some of them aren't. I love Mayor of Kingstown with Jeremy Renner in it. They, that's a Taylor Sheridan show. The Sly Stallone. Uh, Tulsa King is another one that's good.
0: You'll know this. Are they any closer to actually knowing when they're going to film yellowstone when everything's over but like it, on costner's end i'm saying
1: all is quiet i i keep joking about is matthew mcconaughey going to do anything or just work with texas football the rest of his <laughs> career because all he is is on the sideline of games and i'm like he's hey, the, the ri- minister
0: of culture the writer
1: strike is over we can get back to work now well,
0: guy but just actually getting back to it versus the backlog of whatever they're doing i haven't heard a single thing on finishing well, yellowstone
1: he's the next yellowstone guy well, like the th- whole thing is they're going to continue. you have to figure out the
0: Costner storyline of that, don't but you? But
1: they keep going back and forth. At first, it was going to be it's going to be Yellowstone, but Costner's going to get killed off or something, right. and then he's going to join the remaining cast in some sort of role and lead the show. Okay. But then it became well, it's not going to be Yellowstone, but it's going to be set in the Yellowstone universe, but with a different name, and then they'll have some guest stars of the show that will show you that it is still in the same universe. Interesting. I, I don't know.
0: They go back down to the 4-6 ranch or whatever?
1: I am addicted to gossip about what a show is going to be and then all the thoughts that go into what it's it. going to be or what it can't be. I, I, I love stuff like that, of how they're making something. There's the new um, True Detective that's coming in January with Jodie Foster, True Detective Night Country, and it takes place when it's uh, Eternal I, Darkness... You know, for three months in Alaska. Chad,
0: I, you say Jodie Foster, and I'm thinking of Nell immediately. <laughs> like I'm out. I, I think I think her character
1: yeah. is slightly different in this than, well, than I, what but she when was. When I in see Nell. her, I
0: can't, think, I can't help but think about the you know, the Nell. Yeah. Every time. That's night.
1: like that woman in Pet Cemetery affected me. Hutton, as a young man, watching Nell, yeah, ruined It affected him me on future for Jodie Foster forever with Jodie Foster. Um, but the, the <laughs> I love that. But the rumor is that this True Detective series <laughs> is going to tie in all of them, all of the seasons, all the stories. Because there's that same symbol from Carcosa or whatever oh, from or the from first the season, season with Matthew McConaughey yeah, and Woody yeah. Harrelson that's in the ice in Alaska okay. when these people go the, missing.
0: The antlers or whatever too, right? Is that yeah, well, about? it's like
1: that spiral, the circle oh, the spiral thing? one, yeah. yeah. So, HBO has not said that, obviously, but this could tie everything in together which pumps me up. If you had a season after this one where McConaughey or Woody Harrelson or whoever is still alive from that timeline, you know, an aged could work with them, sign me up.
0: Top headlines of the day, Scorched Earth, uh, two big ones, the college football
1: playoff. Those uh, weren't the top headlines? uh, Those are huge. My Hollywood Minute, talking about Paramount Plus hits. And what's going to happen with Yellowstone? I thought that was the scorched earth. We've got that. We've
0: got, uh, of course, with Michigan and Connor Stallions and uh, a blinking light on the uh, the shades, sunglasses at night. But the college football playoff, uh, the selection committee, first rankings announced uh, last night. Ohio State number one, given their schedule, given their wins, they're ahead of Georgia, uh, followed by Michigan and Florida State. Chad, the first two out. Washington and Oregon, and then after that, Texas and Alabama. I feel pretty good if I'm the Crimson Tide or Longhorns right now.
1: Um, And how do you feel if you're the Pac-12? Not great. And are we? But also knowing that whoever wins, if they went out, they're going to be in because that's right. Michigan, Ohio State, they're going to lose. You know, you know, there's going to be at least one loss there, so that team will move in.
0: Given the, the, the pressure on, I don't think there's any doubt, there's pressure on Ryan Day to beat Michigan as head coach at Ohio State. So much pressure that he's calling out Lou Holtz after a win over Notre Dame. Um, Chad, I'm, I'm looking at this, though, from, there's pressure on Ryan Day to beat Michigan from the Ohio State crowd, but also from just the general college football fan crowd Because where Michigan is at number three, yes, they're squarely in the college football playoff, but it's up to Ohio State to hand them the loss. And if they do so, based on where they're ranked, as long as Ohio State and Georgia take care of business, can Washington jump Michigan if they're at five and four, for instance, at the end of the season? Are we headed towards a two-team representing the Big Ten playoff like we did last year? That only happens to me if Michigan beats Ohio State again for the third consecutive year. But if Ohio State handles business for the first time when Ryan Day is relieved of the pressure of beating the team up north, Chad, this could be Michigan's out uh, of the college football playoff, and that's how the committee could keep them out. Is based on the loss to the Buckeyes, depending on how that game goes. It's not if you lose, it's how you lose, yes, but you can also make parameters to have a team jump them, given the fact they're at three, and they would fall based on the loss late in the season. Yeah, I, I think... Um, and you don't get the benefit of the college, yeah. uh, of the conference championship game.
1: Right. And, and I don't... Look, I'm, I'm skeptical anything's going to happen uh, with interference the rest of the season at this point, even given what we know now about Michigan, or at least what we think we know, that hasn't been proven. So that game's going to play itself out. It will. I I think it's a bit of a cop-out with Washington Oregon, neither one of them in the top four, right? It's, oh, well, we don't really know what to think, so we'll just put the Pac-12 on the outside looking in, knowing Georgia-Michigan will play itself out, other things will happen, and then one of those teams will get in. I agree
0: with the top four, though. Because I
1: think the Pac-12 is a very strong conference this year. Uh, Yes. To be completely left out of the top four in the first ranking. And I get why. I'm not making a huge argument to replace any of those four in there, but I just thought it didn't seem right But in this year's pac and, and just
0: viewing how they've ranked these teams, the top six, and think, things will change based on the criteria they're using here. But I, I've said, and uh, we, we've discussed, the conference championship games are going to carry a heavier weight in that room this year just based on how even a lot of these conferences are. Uh, And where at the start of the season, it felt like Georgia and Alabama, while they were not as consistent and other teams had improved based on the transfer portal in the middle part of the conference. And while some of that's true, Georgia seems to be picking up the pace. Bama isn't the team we thought they were after the loss to Texas. They're not as great as they've been in years past either. But if you make your, that's why I'm saying Texas and Bama have to feel pretty good. If you make it to the conference championship and you have a statement there, you're likely in a great spot in the committee's mind. Oh, Meanwhile, yeah. if Ohio State beats Michigan, where does that put the Wolverines in the eyes of the committee, given the fact that we wouldn't see them uh, in a in a spot where they've been in years past, which they is wouldn't blowing be in, out Iowa?
1: Yeah, they wouldn't be in that championship you know game I mean? against Nebraska, Iowa, uh, Wisconsin in a blowout They're win, stating right? their case
0: without playing.
1: I'm also interested because next year we're going to move to 12, right? Yep. Yeah. Let's look at 10 through 20 and what this would look like for the amount of teams that are still legitimately vying for a playoff spot at this point in the year. Ole Miss at 7-1, Penn State, Missouri, all right there or in, Yep, 10 through 12, with one loss. Louisville also with only one loss. Now, how they rank the two lost teams is fascinating to me. This is what they're telling you in terms of ranking the two lost teams across America. LSU would be number one of those two loss teams. They're 14th nationally. Notre Dame, number two, 15th. Oregon State, 16, but the third best two loss team. Tennessee, 17 overall, fourth best two loss teams, two loss team. Then Utah, UCLA, USC. Pac-12, Pac-12, Pac-12. So one Pac-12 gets the nod over the SEC team with two losses, Tennessee, and then Utah, UCLA, USC, all behind Tennessee with two losses. Kansas with two losses at 21. Oklahoma State, Kansas State, they bunched them together, not separating those Pac-12 teams. Tulane Air Force, one of those two would be the highest-rated group of five that would be in the playoff also.
0: And they would jump Missouri.
1: In I'm that surprised, spot. by the way, Air Force was not ahead of Tulane at 8-0. No, I, I thought for sure they would be that, if we started this year, that group of five team that would get a bid to the playoff. But – a year from now, what's pretty cool? All those teams are going to be sitting there saying, "We got a great shot." You know, maybe even lose one more game or win out, we're going to be in the playoffs. And the committee's giving for most of those teams Tulane the
0: nod because they didn't have their quarterback when they lost to Ole Miss, right? They're one loss. Yeah,
1: I guess. And strength of conference, I guess, is better for Tulane, but Air Force has looked damn impressive.
0: They have. Coming up,
1: Jim Nagy joins us. And for the service members.
0: He scouts all things college football to prepare for the NFL draft with the Senior Bowl. That's next.